Yeah. Happy Father's Day, True Life. How's it going? I love that we have kids in the room when, for R-rated movies. Um, all right. How's everybody doing, man? Good. Man, it's been a good day for me so far. My wife asked me what I wanted for breakfast this morning, and I was like, bacon. Uh, and so uh, she made me a bunch of bacon and sausage, and uh, that was pretty much it. That was my breakfast. So I'm feeling pretty good. Got my coffee up here. Um, I'm excited to be speaking on Father's Day, and I get to show a bunch of clips of things blowing up. That's pretty much, I guarantee every clip that we show today will have something blowing up in it. So uh, pretty excited about that. But uh, just to preface this, this message, uh, because it's Father's Day, it's going to be geared towards the guys. So ladies, I, I apologize for that in advance. But as I was thinking about kind of the history of mankind, I, you know, if you look at history, you can see that most of history, uh, men more or less ruled the world. And I'm excited that for the time we live in now, because I have a daughter, so um, I'm excited that at this point in history, she can grow up and be whatever she wants, right? That there's like hardly any limitations or anything on her that probably would have been there 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Recently, she said to me, Daddy, I want to be a police officer when I grow up. I don't know where she got that. Um, We don't really know any police officers. We don't really watch any cop shows. So I I don't know where she pulled that out of. But uh, I'm glad because, you know what, when she grows up, if she really does want to be a police officer, she can be. Uh, But with all that said, with, with how happy I am the way things are going now, this message will be geared towards the guys because guys have a different communication style and we're just a little bit simpler, I think, overall. Uh, and I know, I know you're thinking, Joel, don't generalize. Uh, don't, don't say that all women are complex and that men are simple. And if you're thinking that, it's because you're a woman, right? And the guys, the guys in the room, they're all thinking like, yeah, he's right. I am really simple. Like, they're, they, like they stopped. As soon as they said simple, they checked out. They're like, yeah, he's right. Uh, whatever else he says is probably right. Um, but we communicate differently. I was thinking of this recently uh, when I had a uh, – how many of you guys are on Twitter? Anybody on Twitter? Right? So I, I, there was this one guy I was following. Um, his name was Sammy Rhodes, and he, he would tweet all these jokes out. And I, and I read one to my wife recently, and this just really illustrated how differently we communicate. Because to me, this joke was hilarious. And it just said, um, men are like waffles. We're both bad at communicating our feelings. And, uh, and see, I thought that was hilarious, and I hear most of the guys laughing. Well, my wife is sitting there, like, staring at me and thinking about it. And she's like, why? Because the waffles are, like, they got the groove. And I'm like, no, because waffles can't talk, babe. That's the joke. Like, waffles, <laughs> waffles don't talk. Guys don't talk. That's the joke. And even when I let her look over my sermon notes, I saw her get to that point and stop for a second. I'm like, you're thinking about that joke again, aren't you? She's like, oh, yeah, you told me this one already. Um, and she said, well, whenever I hear a joke, I always think about it twice and kind of analyze. I'm like, that's not how guys work. Like, we hear something, and if we don't get it, we just move on. We're like, eh, okay, whatever. I didn't get that joke. It must be from a British comedy or something. Um, and and we, just, we just move on. Uh, but as I prepared for this message, man, I was thinking, what, what, what are, are, are things that God has instilled in every man? And, and when I talk through these things today, uh, I don't want the women to hear it and think, well, they're not in me. Because they are. Just we're going to show a lot of clips of things blowing up and communicate in such a way that all the guys will get it. Uh, so hopefully everyone in this room will track with me today. But there's three things, three characteristics um, that I believe God has instilled in all of us as image bearers of God, as people who bear the image of God, who are made in his likeness. I think there's three things um, that all of us should have in common and that men should embrace. And so I want to go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read through some different verses from Genesis chapter 1, and then we'll move into the message. 
Uh, So we'll start actually right in verse 1. It says, uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit uh, in which their seed, each according to its own kind, on the earth. And it was so. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heaven. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. I love this passage. I love reading Genesis chapter 1. It's so epic. Like the whole thing is just amazing. As you're seeing God just say to nothing, you know, be. And, and then it is. And, you know, he, he calls forth light. He calls forth animals. He calls forth trees. He creates And so the first thing that I want to say is instilled in us as men who bear the image of God is that we must create, that we are all born with with a capacity and with a desire to create. And you can see this from, from childhood. When you're a kid, you start building stuff, right? You start making stuff. You want to take things apart and rebuild them. Uh, all little boys do this, right? Like all little boys want to create stuff. We want to build stuff. We can't wait. Like I remember when I was a kid and you learned to build a sandcastle in the sandbox. And that was cool. But then when you found out that baking soda and vinegar like blow up, you wanted to then fill the sandcastle with baking soda and vinegar. You were always wanting to create. You always wanted to build. Uh, and, and I see this even now with my kids trying to figure out how to build things. We build forts in the backyard with sticks and, and, and we have this desire in us to create. And in fact, the first command that God gives mankind is that of creation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. That's a command to go start creating some babies, right? Like the first thing that God says is to go create. Like that's the first command that God gives mankind. And so he's instilled in us this sense of creativity. And when you look at history, you can see all the amazing things that men have created. And they do so because they bear the image of a creative God, a God who who created everything that we can see. And so I was just thinking about some of the crazy things uh, that have been created by men, right? Everything from computers to cars to kingdoms and empires chariots, the wheel, buffalo wings of equal importance, uh, the internet, we thank Al Gore, chairs, tables, electricity, telephones, iPhones, the atomic bomb, Sky Mall magazine, because you know that there was no women involved with Sky Mall magazine. When you look at the stuff in there, you're like, yeah, six foot tall, Bigfoot that hide behind my tree. A guy created that, right? Like some guy was like, you know what we could create? Six foot Bigfoot, put them behind a tree. Guys will love it in their backyard. No woman came up with that. Um, 
And we could keep going. We could look throughout history and just see that it's in us, that God has instilled this in us to create. And so as we're in this series, Summer at the Movies, I was thinking, man, what movie has somebody who just had this desire, this dream, this thing in them that they couldn't escape, that there was something they had to build. There was something they had to create in their lifetime. So I want to take a look at this clip. I told you, there, there, there's no clips without explosions today. So um, that's not from Field of Dreams at the end. Uh, but it would have been a cooler way for him to clear the field out, right? If he had just brought in some helicopters and, and blown it up. But I, I love this movie. I love this, this scene where he starts to have this kind of thing that's almost driving him crazy, where he just knows he has to build this thing. And as the movie unfolds, we find out it's a baseball field. And, and you guys probably have seen the movie or at least kind of know the context. Um, but, but I think about people who've created things, and this really is what it's like, is that it's almost kind of a crazy thing where they just, you have this desire that you have to create. Uh, and you can look at, at biographies throughout history of people who had to create things, and it sort of drove them mad, right? Even recent people we can see who had a sort of vision of creating new products, new technologies, um, that they dedicated their whole life to it. You know, you can look at uh, the recently deceased uh, Steve Jobs. Like that's all he's known for is creating technology, right? It drove him uh, really kind of crazy. Like when people hear about him, like no one thinks of him as this really nice, awesome guy. They think of him as kind of the mad scientist that was like in his house or lab or whatever, figuring out how to make things better, how to create new things. Uh, I remember I saw a movie called Hudsucker Proxy about the guy who created the hula hoop and it drove him mad. Like it drove him crazy uh, but he created the hula hoop, right? And, and there was another movie recently about the guy who created windshield wipers. And he spent his whole life fighting when people were trying to steal his invention. And so my question today for you guys is what is it that God's called you to create? What is it that God's called you to make new, to make better for this world, for this church, for our community, for this city? When we look at Genesis, if we were to go just a little bit further, and we will in chapter 4, we can see that early on in history, men begin to create things that had not been before. So if you go with me to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 20, it says this, Adah gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. So he's the guy who came up with the idea of living in tents. Right? He's like, hey, you know, if we take this animal hide, or if we take these sticks, or we can make a structure and we can live under it. That was his idea. Uh, that's pretty cool. He's the father of livestock, meaning he was the guy who was like, hey, see all those cows that live out there on their own? Let's go catch a bunch of them, put a fence around them, and then make them our cows. Like, that was his idea. You know, he created that. He came up with that. Uh, his brother was named Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. And, and I think this is really cool. Uh, Jubal came up with the idea of instruments. Like someone had to create those things. I know we kind of take that for granted because they've been around forever. But if it, you saw everyone up here today playing guitars and different instruments, that's because of Jubal, right? Like, and and what's, what's interesting to me when I think about Jubal is that early instruments, even up until recent history, were most, the stringed instruments anyway, were mostly made out of the guts of animals, right? So I, you guys have probably uh, heard this before, but like violin strings, cat guts, right? Uh, just to give you an example. So I'm just thinking Jubal, you know, he's the guy who came up with this idea. He's got a stick. He bends it. He's like, oh, you know, it would be, hmm, we just killed that lion over there. And he's, and he rips up and ties it to the stick. And he's like, bang, 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 bang. And he's like showing his brothers, the one guy who just came up with tents, which is pretty useful. And he's like, look what I can do. Ding, ding, ding. 
like that, he created that though. He came up and then he, then he gets a hollow stick and he's like, you know what, if I, and he maybe pokes some holes in it and, and they're like, Jube will probably look crazy a little bit to his brothers, right? Like they're over creating other things. Uh, and we'll read about his other brother in just a second who created some really useful things. But, but this spirit of creativity, it came from the Lord. And early on in history, we see them creating this. You can just picture Adam and Eve, their grandkids are creating things that they had not thought of. Uh, and they're beginning to use them. Adam and Eve probably were like, oh, a tent. That's, why, that's a great idea. I never thought of that. We've just been sleeping on the ground. And when it's wet, it's wet. And, you know, uh, but, you know, thanks. And, so, and then the next verse, 22, it says, uh, Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain. And I love these names. Uh, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. So again, makes Jubal even worse, right? Like his one brother creates tents and livestock. His other brother creates iron and, uh, or I mean, instruments and um, tools and things that they could use, probably shovels and knives and spears and axes and all that kind of stuff. And then you got Jubal over there with like cat guts and sticks and pipes and stuff. Um, but, but this spirit of creativity, it was in us from the beginning. It's, it's part of bearing the image of God. Um, and I think of even people in our church that have created things. There's people even now um, that are creating new businesses and new ideas and new ways to make this church better. Me and Michael have these talks all the time when we hang out. Is how can we, how can we begin to innovate? And, and how can we begin to kind of come up with things on our own? Because early on in church planning, what we do is we, we tend to look at what other churches do and take their good ideas. And that's a great way to get started, right? It's, it, it's a great way to learn. We figure out, okay, this worked for them. Let's give it a shot. If it works for us, we'll use it. But now we're starting to get to that place where we're like, what could we do that's our own? Like maybe for the music team, like maybe we start writing our own songs or uh, we start designing our own stuff. And, and we're starting to kind of get into that mindset. Like what can we do to create? And that's not just a thing because we want to be hip and cool. It's because we bear the image of God and he's a creative God. And so if we want to be faithful to God, if we want to be faithful in representing God, we should be creative people. It doesn't mean you need to be artsy. It doesn't mean need that you need to write a song or something like that. But you bear the image of God, and so you have a creative spirit. You have something in you that needs to be created. And when you get away from that, when you begin to just think, you know what, let's just do what's been done before. Let's not worry about doing something new. Let's not take those risks. Things start to get pretty hopeless. Things start to get pretty bleak. And there's, there's a guy in the Bible who sort of hit the rock bottom of this experience. And he hit sort of the rock bottom of every experience. His name was Solomon. And so I want to take a look at a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter one, where Solomon has kind of hit the bottom and he's lost that creative spark. And it says this, everything that happens has happened before. Nothing is new, nothing under the sun. Someone might say, here's something new, but it happened before, long before they were born. No one lived in the past is remembered anymore. And everyone yet to be born will be forgotten too. I think this passage is always so ironic. Like, I, I would love to go to Solomon as he's writing, everyone who's been will be forgotten. Like, hey, Solomon, we're going to be reading this letter in 3,000 years. And we're going to know you wrote it. Um, so it, it's just, like, Solomon was at his worst. When we read Ecclesiastes, uh, it, it's not a book that you can take and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally true, and that's how I should live my life. I should live my life if, as if there's nothing new and as if everyone will be forgotten and nothing matters, Right? Because that's what the book basically says, is that nothing matters, that all is meaningless. Um, and when you think about nothing being new, you can approach it and be really philosophical and think, okay, yeah, nothing is new because our hearts are always sinful and everything's bad. And, and that part's true. But, but from really Solomon's perspective, he's saying everything that anyone does has already been done by someone else. 
And if you think about that, that's not really the case. Like if you could take Solomon and show him guys landing on the moon, like that's new, right? Like Solomon would be like, oh, that's, that's new, right? Or you show him a car, oh, also new. You could show him like a busted old Game Boy from the 80s and he'd be like, oh, we never thought of that. That's new also. Um, but when you lose that creativity, when you begin to sort of get away from that, you become hopeless and you want everyone to join you. You want everyone's dreams to be crushed because you want, you want everyone to be on that same level with you where you're saying nothing's new, nothing can be created, everything's already done. We should just give up. Everything's meaningless. And so I, I challenge you, if that's where you're at today, it needs to change. Like, because God's created you to create, not just imitate. He's created you to innovate, to create, to make things new. And that's the mission God is on now. We can read throughout the New Testament over and over about him making all things new. When you come to Christ, it says that you're a new creation. God is still making new things. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is, is to create and to make things new. It is good. Thanks, John. I know John's voice even in the dark. I can't see him, uh, but I know he's there. He's like the Holy Spirit. Um, so we can create, and we need to create. If we want to reach this world for Christ, if we want to change our community, we need to create. But we can't just create because there's been people before us who have created things that are bad, who have created things that are evil. Uh, and so there are enemies to be fought. There are struggles to be fought through. There are obstacles that we're going to need to climb over. But rather than climb over them, I think it would be better if we just blew them up. This is... That one was easy, yeah. All right, um, so we, we create, but the second thing we do is we conquer. And if you can throw that, I think it's a passage from Genesis up there. I forgot to put it in my own notes. Maybe not. Yes. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air or of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and so... The reason I would throw this passage back up there is that word subdue is not a calm word. He's not telling Adam, go have fun on the earth. Subdue is a violent word. Like it's, it's, it's a word that means to uh, bring under your feet, to have dominion over. One translation says to violate. And I know those aren't words that we like to hear, um, but it's a violent word. And it's saying, you know what, there's going to be things you have to subdue. There's going to be things that you have to conquer. And even more so now in a fallen world. That was in a perfect world. God was saying, hey, there's going to be challenges. Challenges aren't bad. Challenges aren't part of things being sinful and broken. Uh, it's part of being who God created us to be. But in a sinful world, there's things that are evil. There's things that, that, that need to be defeated. And when I think of this, I go to a passage that I love, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I want to read this to you guys, starting in verse 6. It's a guy named Jonathan. Uh, he was the son of Saul, who uh, Michael preached about a few weeks ago. And, and he's going to, they're at battle right now with the Philistines. And this is what it says. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, he had an armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by a few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, 
Then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. I love this passage. If we kept reading, we would find out that, that they do go, and the Philistines say, hey, why don't you come up here and fight us? And then Jonathan and his arm rare, two guys, they kill over 20 guys. There's a big group of Philistines up there. They go and kill all of them. They destroy them. And I love Jonathan's courage to conquer and to defeat an enemy that was terrorizing his people. And and what's amazing to me, we talked last week about signs, right? About people in the Bible who ask signs who didn't need signs, right? Like Gideon, who, who an angel shows up in his house. And that's not enough for him. So he's like, hey, how about you make this washcloth wet and the, and, and the ground around it dry? Like an angel's not more impressive than that, right? Or Moses talks to a burning bush and he's still not satisfied, right? We went through these last week, so I won't hit them all again. But Jonathan, I love his sign. He's like, you know what? You know what will be a sign from the Lord? If we go to this whole giant group of Philistines and we're like, we want to fight you. And they're like, yeah, let's fight. That's the sign that we're going to win. That's it, right? Like, can you, like, just think through that. I mean, that's 20 guys versus two guys. And he's like, the sign will be that they'll want to fight us. And they're at, they're at war with these people. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically like saying, hey, if we get up there and the sun's still up, then that's a sign from God we should fight, right? Like, if we're still breathing, then, uh, yeah, I mean, what were they going to say? Oh, there's only two of you? We're, we're really afraid, right? Um, no, and so, of course, they go up and, and they do want to fight and they win. And I think, man, if we could have that kind of courage to just do the things that God's calling us to do. And when there's struggles and when there's trials and when there's things in our way that we don't back down, that we don't get afraid, that we don't go, oh, things are rough. It must not be the Lord. But that we would say, oh, oh things look challenging. Things look rough. It must be that God's going to come through. And that, that's also what I love about Jonathan is that he actually doesn't have any guarantee. When we look at verse, um, verse 6, he says... It may be that the Lord will work for us, right? Like how many of you, like that would be scary to hear. Like if in our staff meetings, we don't even hear this that much. But if if Michael were to stand up and say, hey, we're going to do this. And it may be that God will come through. But if not, we're all going to die, right? That's basically what Jonathan is saying. If this doesn't work, we're going to die. But it may be that the Lord will help us. But that's the way Jonathan lived. He had that kind of faith in the Lord that he knew these guys were so evil that they needed to be defeated, that it was better to try. It was better to go out swinging than to just sit back and let these guys have their way and hope that it doesn't get worse. And, and so what, what is it in your life that you're maybe avoiding? That you're like, man, I just, I just hope it doesn't get worse, but I don't really want to attack it head on. I don't really want to face that trial. I don't want to really try to overcome that sin. I don't want to be open and honest because it'll be embarrassing. I, I, I don't want to build that company. I don't want to go to that school because it's going to be too hard, right? Jonathan is facing it head on, and that's what we need to do. And I think of people in our church who, who are doing this, right, who are taking those risks. Recently, uh, a couple of my friends, Brian and Alex, they started a business. That's a risk, right? But they faced it head on, and they're going for it because that's the vision God has on their heart. Or I think of even Michael moving here to Newark, Delaware to start a church. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad he did. Aren't you guys glad that he did that? All right. Yes. About half of them, Michael. So um, I'm glad, though. I'm, I'm in that half. So, uh, we, but that, that's risky, right? Like, he had a wife. He had a kid already. He had a job. And he's like, let's move to Newark, Delaware and start a church. Like, who moves to Newark, Delaware? You know, not very many people. Um, Unless they're going to school here. And that's a risk. You know, there was no guarantee that it was going to work out. He had a good plan. He had a good network. But there's no guarantee. And so what risk do you need to take? 
I remember being at a low point in my life where things had just blown up because there are times you'll take risks to try to conquer that enemy, to try to defeat that thing that's standing in your way. And there are times that it will fail and it'll blow up and it'll be hard and it'll be sad. And if you don't trust God, you'll, you'll begin to walk away from him and you'll just begin to think, well, I don't wanna risk again. And I remember being at a low point in my life where, where things had blown up, a ministry opportunity I'd, I'd attempted, I pushed for, it just blew up and it didn't work. And I remember saying to Janelle, uh, my wife, I said, man, I just don't want to hear from the Lord anymore. <laughs> I'm sick of hearing from God. Um, and you're like, yeah, did, did you think that? Yeah, I did. Like, I really was like, I just don't want to hear from God anymore. I just want to be real practical. Let's just write out a five-year plan and let's just do point A, B, C, D, and let's make money and save money and just, you know, let's not get too crazy with ministry. Let's just do kind of what's normal. And I remember my wife being like, that's not good enough. That's not what we're doing. And I'm like, I knew she was right, right? And that's why I married her, because that's the kind of heart Janelle has. That she challenged me. She's like, that's not right. That's not good. We can't just do what's safe. We can't just do what's been done before. We have to conquer. Like, we have to go out and defeat the enemy. And, and so I think of Jonathan in relation to Newark, Delaware, of how crazy it is that we think that God could actually move on this campus. That, that it's crazy that we think that we could see thousands of U of D students saved. How cool would that be, right? Like U of D, I grew up in Delaware. I grew up in Newark. And I think of U of D as kind of a crazy place uh, that, that no one necessarily knows about unless they're from this area. Like I tell them about U of D and people think of, they think there's like 10 people here, right? Like when I talk to people in California, they're like, oh, University of Delaware. It's probably like in a barn because um, they've never been here. But they don't know, like U of D is a crazy school. And I've been working the past year a night shift where I get off at midnight and I drive through here, uh, through Main Street a lot of times at 12, 1230. And I see just like literally thousands of people uh, if you drive around the campus at all kinds of parties, wasted, falling all over the place. Um, and, and it's sad, but every time I see that, I think that's the reason we're here. That's the reason God has a church on Main Street trying to reach these people. And, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. And it may be that revival will break out at U of D. And it may be the school that was voted number one party school by Playboy magazine could one day be a school filled with Christians who love Jesus, right? Like it may be, I don't have a guarantee. I don't have some paper from God that says, yes, it's definitely gonna happen by this point, but it may be. And so I'm gonna keep trying. I'm going to keep swinging. I'm gonna keep taking on battles. I'm gonna keep losing sleep. I'm gonna keep working hard to try to see more people come to know Jesus in this city. And so, so think, what is it that, that you're afraid of? What is it that you're backing down from? And, and I think of this passage in Revelation 12, uh, verse 11, because ultimately the enemy we're fighting isn't people. The people that are out there sinning, that are out there uh, in sin, they're, they're not our enemy. They're the people that we love. But we do have an enemy and his name's Satan. And we don't talk a lot about that, but, but he's real and he's fighting to destroy everything that God loves. And in Revelation 12, it says this, and they have conquered him, and that's Satan. They've conquered him by the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. And so I want to show a scene here in just a second of some people that initially did love their lives and they were holding on to them, but they realized that that wasn't life at all and that they had to let go and that they had to move forward if they wanted to conquer their enemies. So let's take a look at this clip. But they'll never take our freedom!
So I love that scene because he, he, he admits, yeah, you can, you can run and you'll live for a while. I love that line where you'll live for a while. And then he talks about that there'll be one day we're all going to die and you'll be laying on your bed dying. And would you trade all those days for one day of freedom? And so I think, what are we hiding from? What are we holding on to? For these guys, it was their lives. And Revelation makes very clear that the people that overcame, they didn't love their lives. Right? They loved Jesus Christ. They trusted in the blood of Jesus, that when he died on the cross and forgave their sins, that that was enough to take on any enemy, to take on any struggle. And they didn't love their lives because they, they knew there, there, was, there was nothing to hold on to. Their lives were going to end anyway. So what is it that you're holding on to? That if you let go of that fear, of that thing, you could actually do a lot of great in the kingdom of God and in this city. We're called to create. We're called to conquer But if we want to leave a legacy, there's one more thing we have to do, and that's cultivate. Part of that original command was to be fruitful and multiply. And so while, yes, that means have babies, it means to reproduce yourself. So who are you doing that with? Especially to you older guys, who are you doing that with? Like what guys are you pouring into? What guys are you building up? What guys are you encouraging? I want to look in Scripture at someone who did this, though they didn't have any children of their own. But before we go there... I want to show one more movie clip of someone who was not a father, but pulled someone into his own life that he could mentor, that he could pour into, that he could cultivate so that that person could carry on his legacy. Let's take a look at this clip. All right, that's it. Um, done with the movie clips. Uh, but, but, but I love Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi. He, he's training this kid. He's not his own son, but he's training him. He's pouring into him. He's developing him into eventually the Karate Kid, who's awesome. Um, but in the Bible, we can see a really clear example of someone who had no children of their own because of the calling God put on their life. But they chose to gather other men around them and pour into them and love on them and show them who God was. And we can see that in Philippians chapter 2. The author there is Paul. And he says this, speaking of his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For you know Timothy's proven work, worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. And Timothy wasn't his only one, but Paul, Paul loved Timothy like a son. And he poured into him and he developed him. And Timothy went on to do great works in the kingdom of God. He went on to pastor a church and, and do amazing things. And so I think, man, if you are a guy here who loves Jesus, who are you cultivating? Who are you pouring into? Who are you raising up? Man, if you're a young man, who's cultivating you? Right? For you guys who are 17, 18, whatever, and you're in church, and and maybe you don't have a great relationship with your dad, or you don't have a dad, who's cultivating you? If no one is, let me know. We, We need to find some guys to spend time with you. Like, we need to find men in this church who I know already love you, but maybe don't know that the need is there. We need young men to be cultivated into the leaders of this church and of this community. We need young men to understand how to be great fathers one day and how to be great husbands one day and how to be great sons right now. And so to you older guys, who are you cultivating? Who are you pouring into? Who are you developing? And being a spiritual father, it doesn't happen. If you're a physical father, a biological father, it doesn't happen just because of that. You don't automatically become a spiritual father. It has to be intentional. I think of my dad. He was intentional. Right? Like he taught me to read the Bible. He taught me to pray. He took me 
not just to church with him. I mean, he did that because he was a pastor, but he took me to conferences. He took me all over the place. He sent me on mission trips. He, he was intentional about helping me know Jesus. And so if you have kids, listen, you, you can be a biological father on accident. It can happen, right? But you can't be a spiritual father on accident. It won't just happen. You won't just set an awesome example for your kids. You need to be intentional about it. You need to make them see how much you love Jesus. See, oh, well, I should just pray in my closet. Well, pray with them too, right? Like pray at the dinner table. Pray before they go to bed. Set that example. Let them see you loving Jesus. I, I even think of my grandfather. One time we were on a, a vacation together, and I, I, got, I stayed in his room. Uh, and for whatever reason, we split the hotels up. I, I stayed in the room with my grandpa. And I remember waking up one morning, and I don't think he did this on purpose, but I remember waking up one morning at like five in the morning, which before I had children, I don't think I ever saw five in the morning. Uh, and, and so five in the morning, and he, I could hear him. He was on, on his knees. He had turned on some Christian TV program, and they were saying, let's pray for uh, if you have any children who don't know Jesus. And, and one of my uncles isn't, isn't following Christ. And my grandfather's on the ground at five in the morning. He's like 60 five at the time, I think. And he's just weeping and he's just praying for his son. I hear him saying his name, like, just save him, God, save him, draw his heart to you. And he's just crying out for him. And so I got to see that he was, again, I don't think that was maybe one of the intentional moments, but because he loved Jesus and because he wasn't afraid and he wasn't going and hiding it and trying to keep it away or keep it private. Like we talked about last week, he was open about it. And so I saw that. And that was just another man in my life that cultivated me that pointed me at what it looks like to love Jesus as a man. And we're going to wrap up here in just a second. One, one area that I'll mention that's going to come this, this fall, actually a couple areas. One would be small groups. Man, if you're a guy, start a small group where you can mentor guys. Start a small group where you can pour into some of the men in this church. Another, another area that we're working on right now and should roll out soon is a lot of these college kids have asked us if we would be willing to host them in our homes for lunch, for dinner, for times where they can get to know some of the older people in our church better. And by older people, let me just clarify that. I'm 29, and I went out to eat recently with a college student. He was like, I love spending time with older people like you. That's what I mean by older people, right? Uh, and, and so <laughs> so some of you are like, man, I'm really old then. Yeah, to him probably you are. And, and so we're going to be working on a way to do that where we can partner up people who want that kind of mentorship with people in this church. So as that comes out, if you're interested, if you have that time, man, make it. As people who bear the image of God, we need to be cultivating. We need to be pouring into that next generation. And so we're going to wrap up here because as men, our mission is to bear the image of God. And we do that by three things. We do that by creating, we do that by conquering, and we do that by cultivating. And so I want to take a moment here and we're going to pray together. And if you guys could just stand up. We're going to end the service out. Worship team, you guys can come. So we need to create, we need to conquer, and we need to cultivate. And that's for all of us. Like I said, this message is for everyone. I blew a lot of things up on screen and tried to use jokes that I thought guys would like more, but this is for everyone, for the guys, for the girls, for everybody. These are things that God's called us to do, that he's instilled in us because it's who he is and we're made to be like him. And, uh, and so I, I just want for a moment, everyone to, to close their eyes. We're, we're gonna do, we do this every week at True Life. We're gonna give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus to come to know him. 
So I, I want to know if there's anyone here today who, when you're hearing me talk about this, you're like, man, I, I haven't, I haven't trusted in the blood of the lamb. I haven't stopped loving my life. I'm still holding on to it. If that's you, if you want to come to know Jesus today, if you want to make that change in your life, I want you to raise your hand. And so what we do every week here is, is we're going to pray. And I want everyone to pray this prayer with me because I can't see every hand that's up. I can't see everyone in the back. And so we're going to pray. And if this is your first time praying this after service today, come grab one of us. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to get to know you more. We'd love to help cultivate you in the kingdom of God. So here we go. Dear Lord, I repent.